I'd like to welcome you to the Jed Hughes Podcast. Each episode will feature a unique leader and will delve into the qualities that inspire greatness, galvanize organizations, and teach the next generation of aspiring leaders. Jed ran the process that resulted in the hiring of Pete Carroll, Jim Harbaugh, Andy Reid, Masai Uzuri. Now, according to Forbes, Jed is the most connected man in sports. Welcome, my guest, who is one of the real bright news stars in the front office of Major League Baseball. He led the Brewers to one game from the World Series. His ability to put rosters together to assess asset value of players, current and future, is driven by his intellect, his insights, and his ability to build relationships. David Stearns, a Harvard grad, has really put his footprint in Major League Baseball by taking a small market team and making it highly competitive. Welcome, friends. David, again, thanks for joining me today. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. You combine this, this amazing intellect with an ability to connect with stakeholders at every different level in a really genuine manner. It's really unique, I think, in, in the sports world to have somebody that can manage those different constituencies intellectually and with good communication skills and do it in a sincere way. Well, that, thank you very much. You know, I think a, a lot of that is um, I've been so fortunate to work for a variety of different people throughout my career, and all of them held a lot of those qualities. And so to be able to learn from them has been an enormous benefit for me. Well, before we get into any depth on your background and things you've done, Jacob Blake, what's happened up in your state, I mean, how has the organization, what's, what's your reaction? To this tragedy, I think the reaction is um, disgust and and once again heartbroken for uh, obviously the individual involved here in his family, Jacob Blake and his family, but um, an entire community. When the George Floyd murder happened, I reflected back to growing up in New York City and an incident we had in New York City when I was a kid um, with with Amadou Diallo being shot 41 times. Um, he was an unarmed black man just sitting in front of his townhouse. And he was shot 41 times by police officers. It was incredibly disheartening for me and still is disheartening for me to think that this is still happening and that my generation has grown up during this time and hasn't improved the situation. Um, and so that, that's, that's what's been on my mind is um, how my generation, how I in particular, can, can take responsibility on this issue and, and lead to change and lead to improvement. So as an organization, we've taken on that challenge and we've had conversations throughout our entire organization, starting with our players in, in our major league clubhouse. Our manager, Craig Council, um, is very passionate about this issue as well. And we've had really good conversations with people on, on all different sides. That is step one. We need to have conversations and we need to understand um, viewpoints all over the spectrum. Um, but once we have those conversations, we need to act and we need to affect change. Um, that's both at an, at an organizational and individual level. And, and that's what we're pledging to do. So going back to your career, you know, I mean, you had, you had, after getting out of Harvard, I mean, you did the internship with the Pirates, but you had 
no moves, whether it be with the Mets, the, the um, Major League Baseball organization, Indians, uh, Astros. Was this planned or how did you, when did you map out the idea you wanted to be in baseball? The career path certainly wasn't planned. The idea that I wanted to be in baseball is something that's been in, on my mind for a long time. And I always say I was fortunate that probably by the time I was 13 or 14 years old, I knew I wanted to work in baseball. I didn't know what capacity that could be. For a while, I probably wanted to be a player and figured out pretty quickly once I got to college that that was not going to happen. And so I needed to find an another avenue. And the competitiveness of the baseball operation side, the player personnel side, uh, appealed to me. As you mentioned, I was able to land some internships with the Pittsburgh Pirates while I was in college. That led to, to really everything else that's, that's happened. This is a, a, a very small industry. It's an industry still where people know each other, where you get your foot in the door and, and you get recommendations. Um, and those recommendations has helped me uh, make some of those stops that you've mentioned and, and ultimately progress my career. When you think about your leadership style, was there one or two people that had the most impact on you? I've often thought back to all of the leaders for whom I've worked. And what has benefited me so much is they all have different styles. And I think they're all very effective leaders and they do so in different ways. So I, I can provide uh, a couple of examples here and sure. I, I'm sure I'm going to miss uh, guys who have had impact along the way, but I'll, I'll start even back from my my internship with the Pirates when Dave Littlefield was their general manager. Um, and the Pirates at that point were going through an extreme rebuild. There, there, there were bad teams on the field in Pittsburgh at that point. But I remember Dave's consistency. I remember he showed up every single day um, with a tremendous level of focus, termination, and consistency. So you really didn't know whether we had won or lost the the prior day. And I knew he was under immense pressure. Um, I knew he was getting questioned from every single direction. Um, you never would have seen it on his face, and you certainly would have seen would not have seen it in his interactions with any of us. And that that's something that has stuck with me for a long time. Progressing through my career and, and working at the commissioner's office, I was able to work with and for a number of incredibly talented and really bright people. And um, I worked with people who I think worked as hard or harder than any people I have ever seen before in my life. And guys like Rob Manford, who's now obviously the commissioner, Dan Halem, Chris Marinak, who's who's a senior executive at Major League Baseball now. The work ethic, the determination to to think through complex problems was eye opening to me. Um, that this this is how you um, this is how you get to the post that these people have gotten to. You don't take the easy route. Um, if it takes longer to to solve the issue, you take the time that it takes to solve the issue, and then. And then certainly in, in Cleveland, working for a, a number of very talented leaders in Mark Shapiro, Chris Antonetti, Mike Chernoff, people who take a tremendous amount of time to think about their own leadership styles, to mentor and how to impact others in the organization. The culture they have created in Cleveland certainly has made an impression on me. It's something that I've tried to emulate elsewhere uh, as I've made other stops. And so I think just those picking a couple, those three stops are places and, and with leaders that I think back to often and, and how they've shaped me. When we were to do this search, the Astros, clearly you had a unique role that many general managers didn't have and that you had all the different functions reporting to you. So it kind of gave you 
I think, a little bit of an advantage to understand the inner workings of all the different departments. I think that's right. That, that's another example of a, a fortunate role that I've had in my career is when I was with the Astros, I was the sole assistant general manager at the time. Um, I was there from, from 2013 through 2015. So at a time where the organization was going through a pretty dramatic rebuild and we had to create a lot of new processes. Um, we had a, a very, um, I'd say slim front office and, and all of the functional areas ultimately reported up through me and then ultimately to the general manager. So it was a great experience for me at, at a relatively young age to gain exposure to all the different areas within a baseball operations department. Baseball ops departments at that time were, were certainly growing. Um, they've grown even more uh, over the past five or six years. It certainly taught me um, the necessity to, to delegate, um, the recognition that you're not going to be subject matter a subject matter expert in everything um, that's under your purview, and, and you have to be okay with that, and you have to be able to trust the people who are subject matter ex- subject matter experts um, to execute the strategy and the vision that you set for the organization. You go to the Brewers, they've had a long-time general manager in place, and you've got to go in and kind of understand what needs to be done. How'd you go about doing your due diligence to know the moves to make and then build alignment uh, with your manager and with uh, with ownership? So that, that I'll take that alignment piece first because I think that is the most important aspect of any successful organization, certainly in sports and, and probably outside of sports. But with, within sports, the alignment from ownership through the front office down to the field staff is essential. And if we look at the organizations in, in any sport that has had sustained success, the organizations that we would consider the, the model organizations, they have that level of alignment. So coming into the position, ensuring that that was a possibility was absolutely essential to me. If I, if I did not think that was going to be a, a possibility and even a probability, it would not have been a position that, that enticed me. But I understood Mark's desire for change at that time. I, I understood where our ownership wanted to take the organization. Uh, I believe that I could, I could build on that, I could execute that, and I could ultimately forge the necessary relationship with our field staff to take us in the right direction. We've been able to do that. Uh, we, we, we certainly all, the ownership group, front office, Field staff, we're not always going to agree, but we, we are always pulling in the same direction um, and we can have constructive and open dialogues to, to get to the right answer. That's really beneficial and, and, and really important for me in terms of when I first took the job. And um, my, my first job was to listen and have as many conversations as I possibly could um, listen to people who had been here for a long time because everyone at that point had been here for a long time. This has been an incredibly stable front office. Uh, my predecessor, Doug Melvin, had been here for 12 years. The majority of the people who worked for him um, were here for, for nearly that entire time. And rightfully, they were very proud of what they had done. They had taken a franchise that when Doug first came here, hadn't had a, a, a 500 team um, in decades. And they, they brought that team ultimately to a team that made the playoffs two times during Doug's tenure here, um, got within a couple games of a World Series one year. Um, and made this an attractive place to be. So they were rightfully very proud of what they all had collectively accomplished. And so um, my first task was to listen, uh, to understand what they believed we were doing well as an organization, to understand um, where they thought we had room for improvement, and then ultimately take my skill sets and my experience set, apply them to, to our challenges here in Milwaukee, 
and and make the necessary changes or hires that that I thought were needed. And and that's what we did. And the the product, the, the end product of that was keeping some people who had been here for a really long time, moving pieces around a little bit to try to better take advantage of certain people's skill sets. Um, and then also bringing in a sizable segment from from outside the organization to provide new experiences, new perspectives, um, and allow us to grow. When you think about you know, managing the different aspects and you then had to study the roster and what your thoughts were in terms of short-term, long-term, evaluating asset value of the players, I mean, you've made a lot of moves. I mean, probably the most significant one was acquiring Yelich. Talk about what your mindset's been in terms of looking at asset value of, of players and how you've gone about you know, using your, your farm system and using yep. you know, free agents and trades. On a global level, our goal is to get, with every transaction we make, we want to get incrementally better. Um, you're not going to hit a home run with every transaction but we'd like to get in incrementally better. And we make a lot of transactions. And, and my first year here, um, we turned over half the 40-man roster in the matter of months. And we hit on some transactions and, and we whiffed on some. And you know that's going to happen when you make the volume of moves that, that we make here. As we got into our, our philosophy and we got into our organization, we understood um, that if we wanted to do this a little bit more rapidly, than some other organizations had had done this. If we want to get the consistent competitiveness a little faster, we we're going to have to do it a little bit differently. The Astros and Cubs and some other organizations retooled and rebuilt incredibly successfully, but it took them a long time and it took them um, some very steep losing years. I had been through that in Houston. Uh, it's not something I particularly enjoyed. I also knew the competitiveness of our ownership group and, and it's not something they were going to particularly enjoy. And, and so we challenged each other to find a better way. And ultimately, we took a risk. When, when we felt like we were getting that critical mass of talent in the organization, when we felt like we were really making progress with our systems within the organization, we took a risk. And we had an extremely active offseason um, a couple years ago where we made a, a big trade for Christian Yelich and we signed Lorenzo Cain. And that's, that's not something that uh, a lot of organizations would do in the, the space where we were at that point where we were building our farm system, we were building up young talent. And then we chose to cash in a lot of those chips before they'd even made it to the major league level. And, and we're fortunate that that's paid off for us. Um, we're fortunate we targeted the right guys. Both of those guys, Kane and Yelich, have um, made a, a massive impact on our organization culturally and on the field. And, and so that's where, that's where we deviated a little bit from what's been done previously. And, and we're fortunate that it's benefited us. When you look at data and analytics, as much as it's involved in baseball, talk about how you impact and work with your manager. Because some organizations talk about how the front office is running the whole piece. So there's a delicate balance between the use of data, how you communicate that to the manager, how that gets executed, and how you follow up on a day-by-day -day basis. I think there's this illusion um, sometimes or this narrative around baseball right now and field managers that their job in some ways less important than it used to be. And, and at least with the Brewers, um, I would say our manager, Craig Council's job is more important than ever because we, we challenge him with making so many decisions every single game. Craig, the way we construct our roster and the way Craig manages, he has to manage from pitch one. There are some teams there you put your starting pitcher out there, you know he's going to go seven innings. The manager can sit back, let the game play out, and then you manage the last three innings as best you can. Craig is really managing every single day from pitch one. 
we task him with understanding our information. He challenges our information. He asks really intelligent questions. He makes sure that we understand how information can be actionable and implemented. And so it's a, it's a constant back and forth. But we, we could have the best information in the world, have the smartest analysts in the world, and it's going to do us no good if we don't have a field staff um, that's receptive to it and wants to implement it. And, and we're very fortunate here that Craig has been open and, and certainly moving our process forward. As you talk about pitching, he clearly had moved the needle in terms of how you use pitchers in a ball game. So you have some that can go that go a long ways, and you got other games where you start people and they're only facing a couple of batters. How'd your organization come up with that philosophy? Through just constant discussion and and really a recognition, beginning in the stretch run in, in probably 2017, that if we were going to stay in a playoff race at that point, we had injuries, we had some underperformance. We weren't going to be able to run our pitching staff in, in, a, in a conventional manner. And so we had to look at a different way of doing it. And through lots of conversation with our field staff and front office, um, we began to shorten some guys up in 2017. We, we had a little bit of an interesting pitching rotation, um, interesting usage. It worked for us and it kept us in, in the playoff race on a year when no one expected us to be there until the last day of the season. And then as we got further and further into this. And we got into 2018, 2019, where we had some success. We were able to leverage our roster construction and really put players in the best position to succeed. And that's what, that's what this is all about. And that's what Craig gets about this is, is it's all about putting players in, in the best position to succeed. We've had players buy into it and we've been able to have some success with it. When you talk about player development and you talk about hitting and you talk about pitching, those are unique skills uh, in terms of what you look for when you're either drafting or selecting. And when you're talking about hitting, I mean, what are the what are the nuggets of pieces that are important to you as you evaluate a hitter? So the, the first thing about hitting is hitting is really tough, and we have to recognize that. And hitting involves a tremendous amount of failure. Performance isn't always um, linear. We we don't always get better every single year or every single month. And there is a tremendous amount of patience that is required for developing hitters. You can do it in so many different ways. There is no perfect swing. If we look at how the great hitters throughout our game have hit, they look very different doing it. Mike Trout looks different than Alex Rodriguez, who looks different than Barry Bonds. And you could go all the way down the list of the great hitters in baseball history. They, they do it differently. There are core tenets of what makes a good hitter, however. Um, you generally need to have pretty good strike zone recognition. You need to know what a strike and a ball is. You probably need to be able to make contact at a, at a fairly decent rate. And when you make contact, you need to hit the ball hard. We try to look at those three core tenets and then do what we can to help train our hitters to meet those three core tenets. We, you can get so caught up in mechanical adjustments and hitting in short-term results, which are really random. And, and, and so we try to focus on those three core tenets that, at least from our perspective, most good hitters do those things. How do we train those? How do we help players get better in those three, those three core areas? When you talk about pitching, what are the things you're looking for on, on your pitchers, whether it's a starter or a relief pitcher? On pitching, I think as an industry, we've probably progressed a little farther in evaluating pitching than maybe we have on, on hitting at this point. On pitching, we have so much granular data. We, pr we understand the granular data pretty well at this point that even at an amateur level, we, we are pretty good at understanding 
what the ball is doing and how that particular pitch, how the action of the ball is going to play in professional baseball at various levels. Um, so our accuracy with pitching is probably a little bit higher than hitting. The challenge with pitchers is that what we ask them to do is a very unnatural and violent physical motion. Um, so you have a much greater injury risk with pitchers. So trying to keep pitchers healthy is incredibly important to allow their natural stuff, what the ball does, to play. A pitcher, he could have the best stuff in the world. He's doing us no good if he's sitting on the bench because he's hurt. Well, I think we can probably evaluate pitchers a little bit more accurately than, than we can position players or hitting. There is the challenge with, with keeping pitchers healthy, which and there's a lot of research and a lot of time and energy going into that throughout baseball right now. Talking about the pandemic, I mean, it shut down, you started, shut down, now you're in this 60-game race. So how have you adjusted? I think the, the pandemic has challenged all organizations in, in every industry. This is something, an event that was completely unplanned. Uh, we, we did not see this coming. We did not see this coming a week before we shut down spring training. I don't think we understood the severity of what this was going to look like, what it was going to do to our operation, both from a, an on-field perspective and a business perspective. And so because of that, we've had to reimagine everything we do. It has to be a collaboration between the, the business and baseball sides. We have to work together. As an organization, we're going through a very challenging time period. Organizations throughout sports are taking losses that a year ago would have seemed unimaginable. And we have to do everything in our power to mitigate those losses and, and keep the organization move, moving forward, keep the organization afloat so that when we get back to a more normal world, whenever that is, we're ready to take advantage of it. And we have a good product to put on the field um, and our fans enjoy it and they return and, and the revenue streams that we had come to expect regenerate. And, and that, that's the phase we're in right now. We understand there's going to be significant uncertainty for a, a long period of time. I think we need to be open about that and, and not pretend as though we have the answers and then do the best we can to strategize and plan for as many different scenarios as possible. With the trade deadline coming up and you're right on the borderline of in the playoffs, not in the playoffs with a new format. I mean, how does that affect your thinking as you look about talent based on the fact that it's such a short season? And if you're thinking long-term rather than short-term, how that impacts the thinking? It's a challenge for us, and it's going to be a challenge for a lot of other teams as well. In the format we have right now, there are very few teams that are looking at themselves and believe that they're not a playoff contender. Um, the vast majority of teams in baseball right now believe that they can make the playoffs. We also have to understand we've played about a month of baseball, and in a normal season, we would never evaluate our team at the end of April. Um, we wouldn't even begin to evaluate our team at right. the end of April. We'd, we'd wait till we get till late June, early July to really begin having these conversations. So it's probably not fair for us to fully evaluate our team um, at this point either. We probably have to look at our team at a very similar lens to what we believed it was going to be um, when we came into the season. With that said, we just talked about all the uncertainty surrounding the industry, and that same uncertainty surrounds player personnel decisions and, and a trade deadline. So my expectation is that there's probably not going to be quite as much volume of transactions as there would um, would be on a, in a normal year. You probably won't see quite as many explicit buyers or sellers because everyone has pretty much jumped 
bunched together in, in the middle right now. From the Milwaukee Brewers perspective, we always have to be open to 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 all sorts of transactions, whether that's adding to the major league team, which we've done a lot of um, over the past couple of years, or doing tangential moves that potentially help us in, in future years as well. And so we're going to explore both of those types of transactions um, and see what happens over the next week. As you've moved into your role, what were a couple of the challenges you hadn't anticipated? I think when you take one of these jobs, you understand how big the job is and, and conceptually, and um, you understand how many people are within an organization conceptually. And, and then you take the job and you travel to meet all your people and really you go over the world and, and you see how people are invested in different spaces and what they are working towards is to help us win one extra game at, at Miller Park. And, and that's what I always, that's what I always tell people is when, when I go down to the Dominican Republic or somewhere in Latin America, or I'm talking to our scouts in Asia, these people are all over the world and, and what they're working towards is helping us win that extra game at Miller Park that gets us to the playoffs or helping us find that extra player um, that helps us win a playoff series. And the, the commonality of that goal is really humbling. And, and the recognition that all of these people are contributing to this process that happens at seven o'clock every night on a major league field. And yet there's so much going on beneath it and managing that and, and making sure all of those people, wherever they are, whatever they're doing, can feel invested in the outcome of the major league game that night. That's probably something that I underestimated coming into the job. It's something that I spend a lot of time on. And, and it certainly is, is a focus of mine as I talk to our staff. No fans. What's happening? Really strange. Really strange. I, I think for, for any of us who are actually watching the games in person, it's, uh, it's been very weird. I know it's been strange for our players. Some of them have been able to adapt better than others, but, but it's, it's going to be a topic of conversation until we get back to, to normal and full ballparks. Do you think it's affected performance? I do. I, I don't think it's affected performance equally for everyone. I think some players um, have become so used to playing on a stage and they derive adrenaline from it. And it's an important part of, of getting them up for a game. And I, I think there are certain players who are, who are really struggling to create that adrenaline on their own. And then there are others who don't need um, or haven't used that energy from the fans to drive them previously. And so they're not missing much. But I, I do think it has affected performance for certain players. Probably difficult to predict who that is or to what extent it's affected them. But, but I do think it has. So when you think about the mental wellness of players, is there anything unique you're doing to give more assistance to your players as it relates to their, the anxiety and such that I, I just interviewed a person for my next podcast that runs counseling for the NBA. So it was a really interesting dialogue. So I wonder from your own team perspective, how you've addressed it. That's a great question. And that's one of in the setup right now in major league baseball, that is a little bit of one of the challenges we've had because we have so few people who can have access, regular access to our players for obvious reasons because we want to keep our players safe. It's been challenging to have the, the normal level of mental health assistance um, that, that we would. We have a, a department here um, that is devoted to that throughout our minor league system, through the major leagues, and we've tried to do as much as we can remotely to assist our players. But in terms of the direct access to major league players with our mental health, um, mental skills programming, 
it's actually probably been a little bit less than it has in years past because we're trying to keep our players as safe and, and as bubbled as, as we possibly can. So as you look at baseball going forward, received a lot of criticism in terms of how with the organization and with MLB, how do you sense uh, the future of, of your game? Well, we have a great game. We have to recognize that and we have to keep the focus on our game and our, on the incred- incredible talented athletes that we have playing our game every night. And so all of the distractions that come from labor acrimony, ownership, players association conflict does us a disservice. I think everyone on all sides would recognize that. I don't think anyone would believe that this level of acrimony is good for the industry, is good for the forward-looking nature of the industry. That's good. We all recognize it. And now we need to figure out a way to come to compromise behind closed doors so that it's not all aired publicly. And that's something that, as an industry, we haven't been, we haven't been very good at doing. So um, I believe in our game. I believe in our product. I think it is a good product. And I think we are um, working through some really interesting adjustments that can make it even better and more attractive to certain segments of our fan base. But we all need to be on the same page. And and we have to figure out a way to create a level of peace um, and comfort so that we can really focus on our on our product. You know, we discussed the events that had occurred in Milwaukee or close to it. And all of a sudden, you know, the NBA's uh, Milwaukee Bucks decided they were going to boycott and it started a, a ripple effect among basketball. And then your players must have had a meeting and did something. So would you mind explaining what occurred? Yeah, I think what we saw on Wednesday throughout the entire sports industry was players and organizations recognizing that collectively a statement needed to be made that there are some issues that are bigger than sports. This was a time where as sports organizations, as athletes, as coaches, as executives, we were able to use a platform to hopefully draw attention to systemic racism and social justice issues that we need to address in all of our communities. In Milwaukee, we've been touched very personally by this because of the shooting of of Jacob Blake. It's caused an increasing number of discussions. These discussions throughout our community have been ongoing because of the events around the entire country. But when when it hits as close to home as it now has, it understandably amplifies the moment. I think the Bucks felt that. Our players and our organization certainly felt that. And sports as an industry felt that. And I think that's why you saw what we did on, on Wednesday. So as you look at this, when you think about the, uh, the response, in your mind, should it be a team response? Should be dictated by the league? What's your sense of, you know, we saw what happened with the Mets where they kind of mismanaged their situation and the general manager had to apologize for some misstatements made about the commissioner. So what's your sense about, is that better to be team focused or better to have a central message coming from the league? What I would say is I think these moments are most powerful when they're, when they are organic, when they come from individual actors who have an idea, who are vocal with their idea, and then others rally around them. I think that's what has happened here in sports, is we had an organization and a group of players with the Milwaukee Bucks take take a stand and take a lead. A number of other teams in multiple sports and players in multiple sports followed that lead to make their own statement. From my perspective, when these types of movements emerge organically, they are 
as powerful as possible rather than a, a top-down mandated approach. When you think about next steps going forward, whether it be with your organization or with sports in general, what's your sense of what has to occur for individuals that have been involved in this movement to feel like they've been listened to? I think there are probably a couple of things. The first is the conversation has to continue. Um, we can't have these moments, make these statements, and then forget about it. And, and I think in, in this period, um, stemming with the murder of George Floyd, we have continued the conversation, not, not only as an industry or as an organization, but as an entire country. And that in and of itself demonstrates some progress. The next step is to make actual change. And there are many ways that can happen. That can happen on an individual level, where we all, all individually start to think and behave a little differently. We're all individually a little bit more willing to have those uncomfortable conversations. And I think a lot of us have. We, we've stepped over that line that maybe four months ago we weren't willing to, to cross in order to ask the uncomfortable question and have the uncomfortable conversation. So that's on the individual level. On, on a more macro level, look, there, are, there are policy changes that can be implemented. The, we, we talk about systemic racism for a reason. It is ingrained in the system and it has been for a very long time. And it will take real policy at the governmental level to, to, change, um, to change a lot of what is going on. And so as individuals, we can rally together. We can vote for candidates we believe in. We can support policies that we believe in. And, and ultimately, that is likely the most lasting way to affect change. The smoothness and impact that you've had in the organization and the way you've impacted Major League Baseball in really a short period of time has been incredible. Once in a while, when you talk to your wife, just kind of say, wow, we've made some progress. And it's, it's been a lot of fun watching. I mean, I sit back trying to watch as many games as I can. And it's really exciting to, to see what you've accomplished. Well, th thank you for saying that. And it's, I've had, um, a lot of fun doing it. I've been able to work with incredibly talented people at every stop. And certainly that's true here at the Brewers. I've wanted to work in this game my entire life. And the fact that I get to do it, the fact that I get to lead an organization and hopefully do my part to, to bring the first World Series championship to the Brewers, it's a pretty great responsibility. And it certainly motivates me getting up every morning and, uh, and coming to work. Well, again, I appreciate you joining us. I thank you again and continue good luck. And we'll see what happens with the playoffs and what happens in 40 games out. Absolutely. Thank you, Jed. I appreciate you having me. Yeah, my pleasure. Thanks again, David.